Our scripture passage for today is found in John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud from the Word of God. Verses 11 through 19, Christ's continuing prayer concerning his, his apostles, his disciples, his followers. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for the insight and the blessing to witness this prayer as Christ spoke to his Father. We give thanks for the message that it relates to us and the hope that it gives us, the blessing that comes to us from reading this and from understanding how you work and how you bless your children. We ask that our hearts might be changed by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit within us, and that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word, which alone is holy and just and true, acted upon through the power of the Holy Spirit, to change human hearts and lives now and for eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a very real sense in which, as... Uh, Josh was singing the song that he composed a minute ago that we have to come to Scripture in order to understand what really is going on. Many things that we cannot see. We are thankful that we have Scripture. We are thankful, for instance, that we have the example and the blessing of this prayer. Because those things that we are unable to see, God, for instance... We know by the testimony of Scripture and through the proof of His Holy Spirit at work within us. So we come to this passage here, and we understand that the apostles, the eleven, at this point, are soon going to be in a situation that we have discussed a number of times over recent months. They are going to be bereft. Christ in the flesh is leaving them, and... They will be out without his physical presence and comfort. They will be without his protection. If you think of the time when the disciples were uh, rowing and sailing across the lake, and the storms came up all of a sudden on Lake Galilee, and the boat started to go this way and that in such a way that even the sailors among them were frightened for their lives. And they went to Christ in the back of the boat and said, Teacher, Master, do you not care that we are going to drown? Christ got up and calmed the wind and the waves by his voice. 
And so the protection of Jesus that had been with them was soon to be removed from their presence. And without this insight that came through this prayer, it would have been easy for them to doubt that that protection was with them anymore. Out of sight, out of mind. And yet through this prayer we understand the reality was still present. Christ was praying to the Father, acknowledging what had been true all along, and yet saying it in such a way so that the apostles could see it and understand it. The Father, protect them by the power of your name. Next week, we celebrate Father's Day. And I was thinking about this aspect of fathers protecting their children. There's a very real comfort for small children and children as they grow in the strong arms and protection of a father. A child that is frightened in a room by himself is not frightened in that room if his father is in the room. Of course, he's not frightened if, generally if someone else is in the room. But I can remember growing up with my brother David, who's a little under two years older than I am. And uh, <clears throat> if the two of us were in a room, it was still possible for us to be frightened. <laughs> I still remember the time that my sister, who's 14 years older than I, uh, stayed in our room hiding under our bunk beds after our parents had kissed us goodnight. And then she proceeded to get the things that she found under the bunk bed and throw them up the side of the bed. Dark in the room, summer dark. So you can see things sort of flying up, you know. David, cut that out. David's down below. I didn't do anything. Come on. (laughs) If you have siblings, you know how it goes. (laughs) It goes again. Cut it out. Well, it took us a little while to get in sync and realize that David wasn't throwing things up and I wasn't throwing things down. And we were somewhat petrified by the time the door opened and our parents opened the door roaring at us. That was a stinky trick. Now don't... Michael? Dulcie? Don't you get any ideas from these sorts of things? Andrew, if you were able to do this to your boys, I'd get a little worried. (laughs) But the presence and the comfort and the strength of a father is a great joy and a great blessing. So Christ reminds them of this. So we see in this passage that the disciples, the apostles, those 11 remaining, by extension beyond them, all followers of Christ, find security in the power of God. Why is there a need for security in the power of God? Why is there a need for security in the Father? Because as we recognize only too clearly, we, this is part of the life of followers of Christ. We are required to be as Christ. And that means that we live in a world, but we live as foreigners in this world with the obvious marks of foreigners upon us. And we went into Columbia to get David and Francis and we were talking with Wes and Sandy uh, and Brian about going down to visit the two of you in the Dominican Republic. And they were telling us 
uh, how unusual it was to be in a, a foreign culture and not to be able to speak the language. <clears throat> you're marked if you're in a foreign culture. And people recognize you like that. They see you stick out. You're different. And there may be certain things that make you uh, fit in or acceptable to them if it's just uh, in terms of the world. When um, Sandy and I were in Colombia, the fact that we were carrying Colombian children spoke for us very loudly. And, and Josh, the fact that you speak Spanish so well speaks for you very loudly. And nevertheless, you stick out. But we do not have those things about us as we live as foreigners in this world. <coughs> it is possible to avoid having the marks of foreigners here in this world. But those who avoid having the marks and being foreigners in this world, Christ describes in Matthew 10, 32 through 36, Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to state what is clear from our passage in verse Matthew 10, 34 and following. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth, and I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Now, if this is not the definition of being foreign in this land, I cannot think of another definition. <clears throat> so much different that you are even alienated from those who are your flesh and blood. And some of us know this, what it is like to be alienated from our families because of our relationship to Christ. If the followers of Christ are genuine believers, those who have been called to follow him and have placed their faith in him and are living for him, then there is no debate or controversy about what happens next because they are enemies of the world, hated by the world. They cannot avoid being enemies of the world. Christ did not avoid being enemy of the world. There was a point in time, as we find in, in the Gospel of John, before the fourth chapter, when he spoke of the necessity for those who trusted in him, him eating his body and drinking his blood. There was a point in time when there was a popularity to the things that he, were doing, that he was doing, so that people followed him. <clears throat> then, when the true nature of the message, when his true character became known, the people turned from him in droves. Despite what some in the church might believe or state about Christianity being a faith which generates peace and love and has nothing to do with controversy, this is not true. The very nature of being Christians is being followers of Christ and being like Christ. And if Christ was the epitome of peace and love with no controversy, whoever would say such a thing?